You're listening to Force Fed Digital. BXU Heard. Yo, yo, what's going on? It's your boy Kingsbridge Rich. This is another episode of the My Bronx Story Podcast. Today's episode is titled Losing My Religion. Kind of like the R.E.M. song, if you remember alternative music back in the 90s. Although, funny little tidbit about that, that song is not even about losing your religion. I didn't know that until recently when I was doing this episode, but that's just something cool to think about. It's something more about like losing your way or losing your patience or whatever. Nonetheless, today we're actually talking about losing my religion. And the reason I'm bringing that up today is because I've been diving into different areas of my life and sharing it with you people. But there's a whole chunk of, of people within my sphere, so to say, that I had met at a time when I had considered myself a Christian. And even me saying that is probably or would probably be news to those very hundreds of people that I had shared about a decade with in various capacities. So today I'll be diving into that and talking a little bit about that. But today, again, the title is Losing My Religion. So first off, I want to thank you if you've been listening to any other episode of mine. I appreciate all the support. So I appreciate that if you're returning uh, my Bronx story podcast, um, you know, enthusiast or whatever. And um, if this is your first time, you know, respect, thank you, I appreciate that as well. But I ask at this point if you can follow me through IG and you get the pictures and I give you little visuals and stuff. And I have two IG accounts that is Kingsbridge underscore rich and I have the my underscore Bronx underscore story account. And then I'm on TikTok as Kingsbridge Rich, so you can find me there as well. So mad love to everybody out there. I appreciate all the love and the support. So nonetheless, today I want to talk to you a bit about my time in church, what I consider myself now, and just a few experiences to kind of illustrate why it's so important for me to talk about church and, and what I am, and maybe you find your place in that too. And so my story is pretty much being involved any from between being involved in a local church um, and giving my life to Christ all the way up into being a pastor and everything, all the details in between. So let's start with what I consider myself now. I call myself spiritual. And it's funny because when I was in Christianity, anytime I heard a person say that there was spiritual it almost made me feel like, and this is just the shared feeling between Christians, it's like a cop-out. It's like a person saying that because that's their way of telling you that they don't want to be involved in church, and church is just super important, and that's what we push on people, and you know, we talk to people about it's not religion, it's relationships. But for me, I use that word to categorize myself now, so it's pretty ironic, because for a long time, that was like a curse word. In, in the Christian community, in, in, in the space with 
faith. So I wasn't really rocking with receiving that. If you told me that, I kind of look at you a little less like, oh, you just, you know, using excuses or whatever. So now I'm that excuse. And to all of those who might be hearing this or the little cheese man that passes around, if, if this is that important for you, um, it'll pass and it'll be known that I'm no longer a Christian. Because to be spiritual is to not be a Christian. There's no playing the fence in that. That's pretty clear. If you was to be a Christian, if you by practice are on the fence and you're kind of wishy-washy, you're considered what the Bible says, a double-minded person. And they say a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. And so there's always these scriptural anecdotes to kind of show you why you're not living up to par and why, you know, just... It's it's so complicated. I'm going to get into those complications as well. And I'm not even going to clarify those complications. I'm going to just get into the fact that it's complicated. And that's complicated for me. And ADHD and, and what the hell that means for a person that has a hard time with understanding things that are that comprehensive. So, you know, that's another thing. But before I get too deep into that, I consider myself spiritual. And I had a hard time coming to that place. But I'm confident to say that now. And... The reason why I say I'm confident to say that, like, I spill the beans and I say all these ugly parts of life, all these vulnerable parts of life, and it's so hard to believe that it took me courage to be able to face myself and say, I do not consider myself a Christian anymore. And to say, I consider myself spiritual, but open-minded spiritual, like spiritual on a journey. And I think the reason why I fall into that category and my family falls into that category category of spiritual is because we see it as a journey that we're still on, a journey that we have not figured out. And there's a method to what I'm doing too. Not everyone. So in church, we would hear a term called falling away or backsliding. So for those who are not familiar with the terms of church and how you're seen, if you came for two Sundays and you liked it, you came for a month, you got your, you know, your kid presented to the Lord and all that, and then, you know, you cut out. The term that you're being called would be a backslider and such. And so, you know, people who are not going to church anymore, people who are kind of giving it, you know, you're pretty much half-assed. Those people are kind of like sideline people. These people fall away from the church, fall away from the way and stuff like that. So that becomes your MO. So me and my falling away, I guess if you want to call it, would be what they would call me. They would say of my situation. Me on my end, my reality, what I would call it would be that I am more open now, that I am more connected and that I am less in the box. And of course, a Christian would use their Bible and, you know, they'd go their course to say why I'm wrong and why I'm disillusioned or whatever way they want to call it. And I'd go ahead and I'd use history and I might use some science, things that I would never use or that I would never allow in the space of disproving my faith before I utilize now. That is the space that I'm in and this is not a thing that happens overnight. And so for some people, they might have a traumatic experience and say, you know what, I'm done with church. They have some type of, you know, beef with God. I had no beef with God. I was pretty cool. And for quite some time, my experience in church was great. It was, it was magnificent. I, I learned so much. So much good came out of it. But so this change was something that began somewhere, right? Where was it? Where did it start? And so it started with a period of time not necessarily an experience. And the period of time was COVID because in this time, we no longer had the routine of getting up, 
going to work, coming out of work and then going, finding some way to get your kids, get a meal in between, coming into the church to practice for worship practice with the guitar and going through the couple of hours to make sure that you get everything straight for Monday. Or that day after work where now you're also fighting to get a meal in your system and feed your kids, you know, meeting up with your spouse or whatever, so that you could come for a Bible night study, a prayer cafe. There's always all these things for you to attend. And so we attended these things for such a time. But now COVID has occurred and we're not in the same routine anymore. And in that time, church had been doing things differently. So we had this physical distance. And now in this time of being sick and we're not face to face with people, the church is doing Zoom now and they're, you know, being just, is just taking on a different form. And so in this time, we're all home. And so many people took that time to study, pick up a new hobby. I had a lot more time on my hand to study things as well. And in this time, I had begun going through one, I had a family issue that I experienced and it opened my eyes to narcissism and opened my eyes to like the dynamic of power and trauma and how people, just the different family dynamics that come out of trauma and how it can produce people who are narcissistic, uh, toxicity and what that looked like. And in this time, I started making so much connection to institutions and I couldn't escape the fact that the church as an institution seemed to have some of the same failings. And in this, I began what's known as deconstruction. So there's this term and this term is called deconstruction. So deconstruction is pretty much when you start poking holes in your faith or, and this is just my way of saying it, but deconstruction is when you pretty much either have an experience and and an enlightenment, a thought that gets you to a point where you're studying more and you start pulling apart the parts of your faith that no longer exist for you or that you no longer believe. And it's to the degree that you deconstruct and you take things apart is to the degree that you, you know, you now fall into what category. And so it might be a few things that are fundamental that you no longer believe in and you move past the struggle and you're just like certain, like, look, this is what I feel about this and this is where I stand, right? And when you think about religion, like you have Protestant, you have Baptist, it's pretty much similar, except when it comes to deconstructing out of the faith, you've come to the point that so much about the faith and so much about the religion and so much about what you've been practicing have needed to be unraveled, that you no longer move forward in the faith, you stop and you start untangling. And untangling a lot of, you know, a lot, for me, I'll call a lot of crap. Um, And so there'd be no way for me to have enough time to cover all the details and and all the things that I've studied. So I'd have to, in this time that we're here speaking about it, I'd have to pretty much summarize and give you some experiences. So that's what I plan to do. So this is why it's called losing my religion. And so I call myself spiritual. I got on this whole path during the time of COVID, time in my hands, time to reflect, you know, your whole routine has changed your home and we and, and a lot of us got into like a ton of hobbies and stuff but in this time of reflecting I, I really thought of these recent experiences that I had we had some very terrible experiences in church that we had endured as a family as well up until that point and so it's a it's a, a collective of all these experiences a time to think and process everything because in the world of church and religion and this is another big reason why I had to pull away from it as well you're so active in it 
and you got this zeal, you got this passion because behind it all, the fuel that you have is that you got to go and do everything you could to save a soul. And in saving a soul, you can get so busy and you could be, the expectation is so high in terms of your time. And I have such a challenge in justifying that more so in areas of poverty. And in my deconstruction, I spend a lot of attention thinking to myself, the types of environments that I come in are places of poverty. In those places are the places that I ministered, are the places that these types of churches exist. And in these churches, these Christian churches, right, when it comes to the faith and when it comes to the religious practices, they wouldn't consider it religious because, you know, in Christianity, like, that's also like, it's like a curse word as well. But on the outside looking in, because I'm now on the outside, like, bro, it's religion. Uh, and I'm sorry if I offend anybody on that, but looking back at it, I'm just going to call it for what I believe it is, and it's religion. So in this religion, you know, you have so much, so much that they demand of your time and of your resources that I think uh, it further imprisons people. I think it's another form of oppression. And I know that that's a bold statement, but this is why I come to that conclusion. I feel like in these communities, people are already oppressed because of their environment. And I think that there's a few tickets out. One of those tickets is being a good steward of your money. And the Bible talks about it. This is the jargon that you hear in religion, being a good steward. And what I suppose is that the amounts of money that we're tithing in church, right? The, the church, the institution of church is now here teaching you how to put 10% aside for the sake of the church. This is your first time learning uh, certain financial principles. And now you're applying it, but you're applying it in your way of giving to the church. So that money has gone out your hands. And now you're, 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 getting, you're getting the practice, right? The fundamentals of like economics and stuff. You're learning it for the first time coming out the hood. You know, you're in the hood. You got this religious institution inside your backyard. You come every Sunday. You're learning this on a weeknight. You're praying. You know, you're involved. And, you know, every so often they talk on money, but when they talk on money, it's tied so much to the tithing that you get the principle, but just enough so you can give it to the church. But what else is left, right? Because in many cases, the portion that you just gave out, I would dare say might have been the portion that you would have needed to climb out that reality and to make it better for yourself. I would say that that might be the amount after two years of saving, put some tax money aside, your down payment for a house, because all in all, another gripe that I have with the church is that they're still renting at a high amount of rent in a neighborhood where people are poor, people are not earning that much money. And these people are expected to come into church to tithe a certain percent. They're very clear about it. It's going to be a tenth the tithe, 10%. They're going to give you a language class to teach you about what the tenth means. They're going to go into concordance. They're going to go into the Hebrew set this, put the tone of it in the Greeks, and they're going to use translations. They're going to do everything to make clear, right, that the tithe is something that you practice. But then the confusing part of it is that, you know, not all denominations are so heavy-handed with the tithing. And then that leads into the confusion that just confuses everybody by religion. If it is that confusion, confusing, it brings me now to think about all those people who cannot articulate themselves well, academically that don't fare well, who have hard times of comprehension, whether that's because of poverty, because a poor brain is a stressed brain, a stressed brain may pass as not intelligent, you know, because you're not healthy, a toxic brain, a traumatic brain, an uneducated brain. So these are the brains that got to pick up and understand the Bible.
So there's this level of reliance on this institution, the same institution that in areas that people are already oppressed by their circumstance, you're going to further to me what I call oppress, oppress them by expecting a tithe. You know, like that, that person's ticket out could have been that tithe for that year. I have a hard time justifying that. For in turn, they're tithing and that money's going to what, right? The overhead. Being a leader in church for so long, I was able to be around how many presentations about the state of the church, where we was up in, where we was down, how we was budgeting. So, you know, a dope thing about spending my 20s and spending the time that I did as a father of two little girls being married and all of that, you know, just dealing with just the numbers and how a church as an institution runs. And then that started bringing problems too, because it's like we wasn't even running up to par. And then I start realizing that like narcissism and, and so in, in this point, right, like all these things that I just mentioned are thoughts. These are thoughts that I'm experiencing during COVID. These are thoughts that I'm thinking about all the time I done gave to the church. I'm thinking of all the money I done gave to the church. I'm thinking at the time, because this happened months after our first home purchase. So we bought this house. We're quarantining this house. You know, we saw the amount of money it took. We saw the type of strategy it took to buy a house. We, we, you know, we moved a certain way so that we can get this. But damn how hard it was because we were tithing. Damn how hard it was. In fact, we had a situation that kept us out of church for about a year. And we were able to keep more of our money to ourselves in that time. And we got to our house quicker. You know, and what about that when it comes to, like, the, the, in no way the church is ever going to tell you, chill, don't tithe. You know, they kind of put it on you, but it's expected. So again, like... The tithing, we can go, that can be an episode for each of the gripes that I have with Christianity. It doesn't stop there. But that's one of the reasons why I have to really look back into what I call myself. And, I, you know, with that and other things, I just keep on falling back to, hey, you know, the, the, the big curse word, I'm spiritual. But again, I um in this time of COVID, I went through another situation. I had dealt with a situation that allowed me to realize narcissism in my family. And this... So I'm going through this construction with religion and I got these new ways of thinking. I'm researching. I'm researching biblical scholars, right? I'm, re I'm researching people, um, archaeology. I'm, re I'm researching ancient texts. I'm reaching all these things that the church would call new age. But at the same time, I went through a certain family experience that caused a certain trauma, but it caused me to to go back and reflect on other things in my end. So it was this big revamp and like COVID for me hit me on so many angles because I was reflecting so deep. And the deeper I got, there was so many things connected to the toxicity. And everywhere that I had my hands in existed this toxicity. And what that toxicity is, narcissism, the byproduct of narcissism, the toxicity in family. And I saw it everywhere. At this point, it's like my eyes opened and I saw it as something that like we come up from poor neighborhoods. In our poor neighborhoods, we have places that serve us. And what did these places are made up of? They're made up of the people that, you know, we rub elbows with. Who are the people in your neighborhood? In your neighborhood? In your neighborhood? Who are the people of your neighborhood? The churches made up of people from your neighborhood, from your poor neighborhood, from your very traumatic neighborhood. Who are the people who work in the motor vehicle? Who are the people that drive the bus 
through who are the people that do sanitation. These are the people who come from the same neighborhoods, who come from the same traumas, who come from the same type of households as us. We all interact with each other. There's certain things that form certain patterns, like the way that people treat each other, just the byproduct of the toxicity that comes from the household and that makes its way as a ripple out into society in whichever way that it does. And sometimes that ripple is violence. Sometimes that ripple is just nastiness. People work nasty because they never get a hold of their lives and their self. Some people become junkies, right? Some people are, are just depressed and they, and they commit suicide. Some people go to the church and they hang all their hope on church because they've done the dope and they've done the violence and, and they've come out of jail and they want to change their life. And now, you know what? I did all these things and now let me cast all my hopes on this thing we call church. And we find ourselves in all these things. And what I found at that time that I was deconstructing, that not only were all these toxic behaviors and all these toxic patterns existing at the schools I came from. I have these experiences with teachers, toxic teachers, telling me things when I was 10 years old that you shouldn't tell a kid. You understand? So this was my experience, but now I'm making more sense of the toxicity. I'm thinking these one-offs like Mr. Pretchup, my fifth grade teacher, telling me I'm never going to be nothing in life. I'm thinking, oh, you're just a sour individual. There's no way that I'm connecting patterns to other people. I just think at some point people rise up to be what they are and it sucks to be them. But at this point, I'm seeing that there's a way of existing that can cause these little fuckers to move around society. And these little fuckers end up everywhere, including the church. And to my surprise, not only do we find them at work, not only do we find them in our neighborhood, not only do I find them in the places of service, we also find those people in church. And I found those people in church. I had great experiences, but there was times that in church there was experiences where we would witness things that were swept under the rug that needed more attention. And these were times where I was not in a position to affect change. I'm just sitting down on the chair worshiping and observing. And I've seen a parent scream across a room talking about my daughter was underage when that leader did so-and-so. During Sunday service, I've seen this happen. I've been in churches where the pastor had been accused of sleeping with congregants. And so these are just two experiences. I've, I've had experiences where I've seen churches be overhanded with the tithing and mismanagement of money. I can go on into all the types of experiences, personal experiences, observations. But all in all, when I reflected on it with the perspective of like what could be done differently, I always came up with a hard time. And I always came up with saying, until people really take mental health serious, then they're not going to grow past that. And I kept on making these connections that I felt were roadblocks to each other. And I felt like at that point, so many realizations just jumped out at me with my experience. And it was just like a bunch of light bulbs coming off in my heart and in my mind. And what my soul was telling me was like, all those discomforts that you was, you was experiencing, those came from a place. It's just that the, the way that the church had established themselves and, and the way that church functioned and the way that all these institutions around me was functioning. Because the toxicity that I dealt with at home, I dealt with those toxicities inside a church. I dealt with those at my job too. I was in a, in a job in Harlem that was a Puerto Rican institution. And 
it looked like home. It looked like I was dealing with a bunch of theos with the way that they did justice, who got written up, who got a free pass, who we forgive today. All these things were just, it was everywhere. And so in, in this time that I'm reflecting and I'm, I'm signing myself up for therapy, I'm doing the work, I'm, I'm going through all these research, uh, this research and reflections, I'm building myself up with this new knowledge and I'm applying it to every area of my life. And I'm realizing church is a big problem. And I'm realizing how many toxic people would just climb the ranks and not be recognized. And I started realizing that narcissism is a word that had been played with for so long, but it was so much more devious than what I was even uh, giving it credit for. So much more devious. I started seeing it in my family. I started seeing the toxicity. And um, then I'm now having experiences within church and the power dynamic. I had this one experience within my last straw moment of a church where I had to make the decision for my family to go. I believe at that point there was no more reasoning. And um, the pastor of this church had been even lying so that he looked like he wasn't lying. So pretty much it's like it's either you're lying or telling the truth. And the expense of you admitting that you were telling the truth means, you know, that, that I was telling the truth means that you was lying all along. So, you know, if somebody's sticking to their guns and, and they're not going to budge on that, then you're going to look like a bad guy for bringing it up. So, you know, it was a bad look for us because he wasn't going to budge and he wanted to keep a lie up. My family had to go from that point. And that came with, with a lot of realizations. It came with losing people who we thought were much closer to us. We thought that people would see it the way we were seeing it. And in that reflection, we started re realizing that there's so many biases that exist to why people keep certain friendships. And I cannot impose on people why they should keep a friend or not keep a friend because I'd be imposing that. There's plenty of reasons. And just because I think you suck because of your reason for keeping a pastor around, you know, for me, I'm thinking I'm outliving my function. I'm thinking as a pastor, you got to do pastor shit, right? So... When shit hits the fan, you got to do what the pastor's supposed to do. And, you know, it's a little papa te quieto and, you know, there's a process. But if you downright, you outright lying about it, I can't reach that. So that was an issue. In this time, also, I was flexing with the real estate and, you know, we bought the house. We had a lot of deals going on. So I was doing good up until this little traumatic experience I was dealing with which I'll explain in another episode. But all to say, this realization came hard and it came like a trifecta because it came from different angles. So church, boom, the whole narcissism thing. But one of the good things is that I was, I was more venturing out into the world of entrepreneurship. I had been an entrepreneur for years and um, this was now a new venture in real estate. We were learning about flipping. We had a good amount of deals going on. We're on the up and up and stuff. But in this time and doing real estate, I'm making new connections with the way I see land, with the way I see investments. And this was one of the areas that really made me have a hard time. And I talked about tithing and I talked about the difference between putting your money in the church and maybe taking that same amount of money if you learned those principles to save it for yourself. But in this time, I'm much better at being an entrepreneur. I have, you know, different things I'm working on and stuff like that. The more I got into money, the more I realized how much mismanagement was going on in the churches I was at. The more I got into property, learning about like equity and, and all these things, we just had a harder time in that perspective. Just, I, I would say 
it felt like a blatant robbery to me. And it was like a blatant injustice. I felt that at that point, if I was able to attain it with the little that we made, then there's so much people that could do the same. But then what that would do for the church, if people got up and moved out of those areas, or the people with money took their money elsewhere, right? And then the people left behind, who were the tithers, were people who their income was already low. That becomes a problem for the church as well. So anyway, these are some of the things that kind of opened my eyes and some of the things that made it hard for me to, to justify going to church, continuing, and to consider what I even call myself, man. That's, that's what my reality was. But all in all, I gave my life to Christ. In that time, I did my thing. You know, I was faithful to God. I wasn't even cursing. You wouldn't hear anything. I wasn't even drinking because I had had former problems with drinking as well, man. I was drinking really bad, so bad. We had a crew called Never Sober on the Block. Never so I had an airbrush shirt, Never Sober. And it was a few of us that we rep Never Sober. And that was our thing. E&J bottles in the hallway because it's cheap and quick. Devil Spring mixes, zombies, Incredible Hulks, Alize bottles, 99 bananas. We was drinking everything in sight. We was drinking raw. We was drinking our empty stomachs. For a long time, I was drinking. That was one of the hardest things for me to overcome. Before going to church, this was just the way I was. I started from 15. I was in school drinking. I had friends coming into school. By second, third period, we was buzzed. Female friends, male friends, in class. We're not even taking the alcohol outside of the school. We're in the school drinking. So I'm getting this taste. I'm meeting OGs in the hood. They're opening up shops. These guys make money. I'm in the shops drinking with them at 17, chilling with older girls. And so from here and there, I'm just, I'm on the block posted up. I'm drinking and this is going well into my 20s. You understand? I get to this point that I'm drinking so hard that now I'm out of control. Now I'm in the hospital. I had the experience of drinking so much that I end up in the hospital or IV. Not blacked out in the hospital like I injured myself. Like I was in so much internal pain and I find out that I'm here burning a, a hole in the lining of my stomach. So to that degree, I was drinking and my life was out of control. I was drinking atheist. I didn't believe in God. I had no sense of spirituality. The drinking was affecting. I was losing jobs at that point. I was doing dumb stuff. I was riding motorcycles drunk. Everything I did was bad. If I was depressed, I went and got a bottle. If I was celebrating happy, I went and got a bottle. I've been there, done that. So for me going into a church, I went into the church drunk. I remember the night before blowing a bag in the church in, in a in the club. I was drinking so much. It's another week that I just blew all my money, and now I gotta borrow money to pay my bills. I gotta work my little side hustles and my job, get the paper together just so that I could get back on track. And then it'd take me like two weeks to clean all that out, just so I could have another weekend drinking crazy and be right back in the same spot. I was tired of that already. And with addiction, the problem is that sometimes you gotta get to the point that you're so pissed off with yourself, with your circumstance, that you can't take it no more. Until you hate yourself and hate the situation that you're in, you don't climb out of it. So at that point, I hated my situation so much. I'm seeing myself broke. I'm burping alcohol still. I know that there's service going on in, in just a few minutes. I bring my still not sobered self up, never sober gang to the church right up the block, walking them doors. And I felt like they were preaching right to me. From the back, I can hear those, the words and everything was like a call for my soul to, to come up there. And at that point, my life pivoted, that's for sure. I had something that interrupted my day to day. I mean, I was living legit, working and doing things on the side. 
And so I didn't have a straight hour life about me. I didn't believe in myself enough. I was just lucky to have the opportunities that I had. And I snagged them whenever the opportunities came. If you told me, yo, take this job, I'm going to say, yes, I know how to do it. That's the way I was. And, 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 you know, I had good experiences learning, winging, posturing, and, and, you know, doing all those things. I learned these things from books. I was a reader still. I wasn't an academic person. I had ADHD. I didn't have, you know, my, I had distractions and, and this was just what the way it was. But at some time, time, I started learning what worked for me, but I was an avid reader from a kid. We had encyclopedias that was, you know, missing sets and stuff like that, that we got from outside from like the garbage cans and stuff. We had subscriptions of Reader's Digest. I used to read adult content and not adult. I did read adult content too. <laughs> there were Playboys I talked about in the other episode, but I read you know, adult level, my, my reading scores was very high nationwide. I had, I had huge scores. My brother had huge scores. We read a lot. So we will always read. And, and I, in all those times that I fell off to the side, being an alcoholic, I was always a woke reading alcoholic. I was just terrorizing my own body. I knew about world situations at that time. We didn't have the internet. And I'm pretty much knowing a lot of these things because of books, OGs that come home from jail, books, Things that the older heads was into, documentaries, interesting stories that set me on a rabbit hole. Not as easy because, you know, it was just like you had to buy a book or, or find a, you know, just be plugged into that world. I was into that world before church. You know, it's just that the addiction of alcohol got me all twisted. And then I'm broke and I'm here losing opportunities. I had two full-time jobs at a time. At one time, and then I lost one of those. And, you know, I was making bad decisions or whatever. But I had a hard time adjusting and stuff like that. And I make it to church. And now I got something that puts me on a whole different timeline. And at that point, I'm here tithing. I'm coming to church. I'm giving so much time to the church. I ain't got no more time outside. And, you know, start a family. You know, we, we you know, I end up with my wife and stuff. We have kids. All this stuff is happening. And we had a very sheltered 10 years. And in that time of shelter, it was... There's a few things that happened, and the person you see today is more of an authentic person, a more complete person. Who I was for that 10 years while I was in church was void of a lot of parts of who make me me. And I enjoyed, and I was funny, and I still had, you know, I always had a positive spirit. I always had a joking spirit, but there was a part of me that was kind of washed away. And I feel like in this current day, I've regained that person back and I celebrate that person and I try my best to embrace that person. But I'm also fully aware that a slew of people who I once loved and I still love may see me differently. And that part doesn't bother me. It just bothers me that they would imagine that I'm going to hell. When it gets to that extent, and I think about it to that extent, it bothers me. But otherwise, fuck them. Like, you know, to be honest with you, like... I got a theory about it. Like a lot of times with church, the people who go to church ain't never really been about another type of group anywhere else in their life. And so for the first time, like they're part of a set, you know what I mean? Like now you got that title of deacon. So you ain't never get a certificate from school. You ain't never, you know, you've been on a certain, you've been on a certain pattern your whole life that you didn't get accolades, that you wasn't a part of a certain community. 
right? For me, I was a part of like dance culture. I was a part of like, you know, with all my graffiti friends, hip hop and all its elements and, you know, DJs. I was around so much culture, Latin culture, like whatever type of culture. I was in the streets, in the mix. Um, You know, it was so many different pockets of life that I was a part of in different areas that I was a part of. And I traveled to different places and I had different experiences, motorcycles. I did all these things and I had all these experiences and I had all this perspective, but I also had this huge identity. And this identity cannot be confined. And I confined this identity into the space of church all for the sense of spirituality, which I keep today. But I was confined to a box of religion. And my problem is with religion. My problem is not with spirituality. I believe in God. I believe in source. But I just don't believe that we've figured him out. Because as much as we think we've figured him out, as much as we want to believe that the Bible is without error, as much as we want to believe that, you know, our way is the only way and without this way you're going to hell, that's confining God that I believe to transcend any of these very simple thoughts. There's just the idea of hell and punishing. I as a father have come to a point in my life and realization that the God of the Bible to me doesn't appear as loving as a father should be. I say that as a father, I couldn't have said this without being a father because it would have been difficult. It, it wouldn't have been impossible. But as a father to two teenagers, I've been a father long enough to see so many instances where I can punish, but instead I correct. Where unlike the God of the Bible, I don't gamble with whether a person is going to go the, the evil way and go towards Satan or be faithful to me, like Job, if, if we want to reference it. And that's one of many places that I can make a discussion out of, but it's the perspective of me being a parent. Like, as a loving parent, am I going to gamble on you like that? Oh, but God's ways are different than mine, and that's where I'm having a hard time. And you know what? On that note, I got ADHD. I know I'm an avid reader, but sometimes things could be a little complex. And if we cannot simplify this thing, then how powerful are you, God? And excuse the blasphemy or whatever you want to call that statement. But I dare enough to say it the same way that my daughters innocently ask me the most potent questions because, hey, can they be direct? Can I be direct with you, God? I have a hard time understanding Christianity. I have a hard time with the hermeneutics. I have a hard time with all these different, you know, ways of thinking. There's experts, but then I got to trust them. But time and time again, I see the people that I should be trusting are shitting us or letting things slide or hiding things for other pastors. And these are the people, oh, but God, you know, vengeance is mine. God to deal with that. But I got to deal with that too, to a sense. And we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. When I got to deal with it, it comes with people backing out of friendships. It comes with people unfriending you and you find out for the first time, people that you used to rock with, people that you broke night over have unfriended you, call you a clown or whatever they want to call you. Like there's real issues. And I think the only thing that sustained me is the fact that I am a whole ass person outside of church. Like I done had people, like the things that the people in church were so excited about doing between each other and having these groups and you know, some of them will go out and drink or some of them will party with each other and make excuses or do all kind of wild stuff. And, and they'll try to make the Christian version of Poetry Night. The, everything was a Christian version of something. That was cool. It was fun and all that. But I done did all of that in what they called the world. 
So for me, it wasn't so much. It was cool and all that, but like you could have just went to that in the in the in the world, like you want to call it. You be act like you're in a whole different dimension. I don't even want to come off with that tone because up until this point, I didn't have that like that yuck mouth way of saying it all. But for me, all in all, like my experience with church has been more of that, and that's been my observation. And I did give it time. Like I was in it, I was involved. I kept my discipline up and to the degree to even become installed as a pastor, you know, until it was time to do pastorship or whatever. But nonetheless, I couldn't justify in this time of my realizations, the church building, the finances, the tithing. And so there's all these levels that it's like just giving me a hard time, man. But nonetheless, I gave my life to Christ. The drinking part was out. I was off the streets. I had this awesome distraction. I met my wife and we tucked ourselves away. She was pregnant real fast. And we were just, you know, in the mix as parents. And we was at every ministry. There was kids ministry. There was a ministry for every day of the week for 10 years. It was like that, but so this was the this was the disp- disappearing act that I did on the streets. I was no longer out there, or whatever. I had this new community, or whatever. So, um, you know, I'm a part of this, and my eyes are off the world. It's like I got a fleece over my eyes, where everything is broken down into: Are they going to hell or not? Am I going to heaven or not? And everything is so reduced into those two things that the world could be exploding. And it's fear not, or turn the other way, turn your cheek. And I'm wired way different than that. Like, before coming to church, I was a dude that would make walkouts in school because the sandwiches were bad. I was one that we changed principles, and I'm like, nah, knocking on doors. Me and my homegirl, Rachel Saab, we used to set off the walkouts. We went to our first march. I went to a march when I was young, around that age, too. So there was a lot of, like, you know, speaking out. You know, I had my first punch on somebody. Like, you know, in a sequence of, like, three, four years, five years in my team, like, I was going out to demonstrations. Like, you know, I was learning to fight back, you know. And I, I come from the hood, so there was that type of fighting. There was the political-type fighting. I was being exposed to fighting back. So now I'm in this institution. I'm starting to see things happen. And I'm like, uh whatever, I'm having a hard time with it. But nonetheless, I think about religion like this too. Historically, I've been more of a person that I I like to study history because in church, there's so much time that you could be consuming with just reading about hope and tomorrow and just about heaven and what you can do or that it's not works. And you might have weekly sermons where they're talking about They'll use verses and illustrations to appeal to a type of suffrage. It could be a silent suffrage. It could be a theme, loss. It could be, you know, there's all these topics that come up and stuff. And church would use scriptures and all these illustrations to, to bring that out. And then we can pray on it and, and, and you get stuck there or whatever like that. But how about that? I, I like to read about racism. How about that I like to occasionally read about colonialism? How about that I like to look at the history of my culture? Culture is not really celebrated inside church. Nationalism is not something that's celebrated inside a church. Genealogy is not really a big deal. So if you're spending your time just learning and the way they twist and, and, and you know 
pull out all these inferences with the Bible and stuff like that. You'll be there a whole generation and, and rereading the Bible 10 times through a different lens. So many lenses to read it that you never, you never arrive. But there's so much that you could be reading outside of the church. And not to say every person involved in church is tied up and not thinking about it. In my own walk, I spent so much time looking into Puerto Rico, looking into imperialism. And when I study all these this world history, I always wondered to myself where the church was in that time. I would first, from my own spirituality, ask myself, where was God at that time? And these things make me reframe who God is. Because if God is all-powerful with all these instances, and so relying on the way that our school institutions taught us what racism was, relying on the way that the schools taught us, or the little that we know about healthcare, the little that we hear from politicians and what amount of money they're giving and what little data that they're presenting to us that just gives us a little small snapshot of life around us, right? Aside from what goes on inside the church, I've always been keeping my eye on the, the pulse of the world, the pulse of my people, the pulse of what's happening on. And not that all oh, the news is fear mongering. I need to know what's happening in this world. And in seeing that, I see a reflection of my people. I see power. I see influence. There's so much that I see, but what I don't see is the church's position. How powerful are you, God, through the church? How powerful is the church? How powerful is the church? Because I think to myself, two or three business partners could move to the side, start investing money, and now triple their worth, quadruple their worth, create jobs, create place um, residencies and stuff like that. But a church of 150 people can't move? Like, they're not investing? You understand? Like, it's just, I just think that even when we look at like how many churches exist in a certain radius, it'd be like, let's say, let's say if I was able to draw a map, a circle on the map, and I capture like five different churches, it'd be five churches. Three of those churches have ESL classes that they got like through tithing that they got from their community. But each of those three classes only have like a participation rate of like five people. Guess what? Out of those five churches, that, the three churches that are order, that are offering ESL, you could have just combined them into one church, into one place. You know, and that's just me making up an example, but this is just where my mind goes, where people are duplicating efforts, people are not unified, people are doing like, oh, I just want to be a pastor. Why? Because I feel like it. Because I feel like I've arrived to that point. Because I feel like I know enough. Because I feel like I don't like the way things are going here in this church. Let me go start another one. And I've been, I guess, guilty of that, whatever. But I think it's just the natural wave. But then what happens to that? I've seen that happen. And also the senior pastor of the church now not feeling comfortable that this person wants to start their own church. And then there's the matters of control and stuff like that. So religion, historically, right? What what has it, like when I think about religion... And I think about the religion I'm a part of, like the Abriatic, the, the, um, when I think about like, well, I'm, I'm just going to focus on Christianity because that's what I was a part of, right? But when I think about being a Christian, right? And I think about Puerto Rico, colonialism, Native American, right? And I think about people being stripped of their culture, culture being also their spiritual practices. And in those instances, our religion being forced on them. 
How did the Bible in its wording not prevent that? Did it come down to translations? Because then that's another thing. For sake of comprehension, we have issues with the translation. Oh, I like to give I like the tone from this translation. Oh, that translation is not accurate. Oh, our church only reads from that. So there's there's a lot there's a lot of issues that come around because of translations of the Bible as well. How we sort that out? Why why is not a little more simple than that? Those things that brings me problems. Like God, could you have not been a little more clear? Then there's my thoughts on sin, right? This is how sin was taught to me. But this is just, I feel like, a very simple way of looking at things in simple terms. Sin is missing the mark. And sin is getting a consequence from missing that mark. Now, to not spiritualize it, but I think of sin as an opportunity that I might have missed, right? So the sin could be something like, I hurt somebody. The sin could be that I hurt myself because I could have did something today and I didn't do it. And I should have did it. I was set out to do it. There may have been complications because I didn't do it. And that's a sin. And now there's a consequence. That consequence could be that I let somebody down. That consequence is that I'm going to be in a worse situation because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. That's my consequence. If I commit a crime today, that would be my sin. And the punishment would be my consequence. And so when I think of sin, I'm not just thinking that anytime I sin, I could be going to hell. And there's a whole history about hell too. And then I think about how complicated that is. And I hear that there's a hundred different opinions. Everybody seems like an expert on it. Where do we begin? Historically, how long has the idea of hell existed? And is that idea contested? And so we got mad issues that like I have an issue on when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to canon. So not only translation, like why is it that there's 66 books? I can imagine there's a hundred of my Christian friends and look like no disrespect. I know exactly what you're going to answer. Duh, I've been there with you. I know what you're going to answer, but this is more of a rhetorical question because you're going to still point to the Bible to justify itself. I have historical issues with why they've decided to make the Bible just these 66. And you're always going to reason with me by using the Bible. Or you're going to twist it to some way that to me is like, I kind of feel like if you got to go through all those hoops to show me the Bible and it's that complicated, I have a hard time seeing God in that. And if it's that complicated, and I'm being honest with God, because I've been honest with God tons of times. I'm honest with God almost every time I talk to him when I say, look, I don't know what's going on right now. I know I don't want to be in this. And I hope that there's, you know, some good out of this, but this is really not where I want to be. You understand? Like, there's times that I'm completely just like, I'm confused. And that, like, if that's my always me when it comes to the Bible, then am I going to burn in hell because of that? Because I am not sold on any way that anybody's explained the Bible and religion and why I got to keep going. I'm not completely sold on any of it. I was at a point, but I didn't have the same thoughts that I had at those times. And so that's what deconstruction looks like. But nonetheless, we got different theological leanings that come out of different translations. It gets further and further complicated. And I imagine to myself, the marginalized, the, the, the people who in their minds, they might not think straight, the people who mentally wise, like what happens to all those people? Oh, it's a case by case basis. You know, you get to the pearly gates and God's going to choose because he knows your hearts and stuff. It's, it's kind of wild when we look at the uh, at the heart of God and, and Noah and, and sending the flood to the... Like it's almost as if there's got to be more context to this God 
and somebody's keeping a narrative by, you know, piecing together what they want to piece together. Then there's the issue of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And this is just me all moving into the idea of why religion to me is so complicated. Because at the end of it, it's just mercy. If all fall short of the glory, then bro, we all are sinners. We all mess up and you're going to deal with the consequence of your sin. And when we die, something magical might happen at the end. Until then, live your life. Live your moment. Enjoy your life. Be free. And stop trying to contain people into your ideology. Give people that patience and that respect to not force feed them with religion. And tell them it's about being there on Sunday every day. You see people's families ripping apart because now they don't even got time to invest in themselves. And at the end, everything's said and done. Y'all brought your, your tithes to the storehouse and now the pastor got their kids in Little League. And got a nice car. Got that upgrade or whatever. Come on, it's time and time again. They make a, they become career pastors in a lot of cases. And then even me saying that, then I'm going to upset another person. I don't make a penny out of it. All right, cool. That's just one thing of the many things I just mentioned. How many times does somebody faces the church because they have a real life situation that they should be having mental health counseling over and the church opens it up a, a, a door, give them a closed room and have their version of counseling? How many times I have to see that? You're not mental health experts. If you are, that's cool. That's a plus. But if you're not, then you're not. And you'd pose as you are one in many instances, and I have a problem with that too. And you can go ahead line by line and pick apart everything and have an answer in your head, and I'm good with that. All I'm doing here is telling you to what extent I've been involved, what my observations are, and how I'm coasting. And the way I'm navigating through this is that I'm living life, I'm speaking to God, I'm learning about Him, I'm not confining Him, I'm opening my heart to Him, I am reflecting, and I'm learning from my experiences, and I'm seeing what I can do different. And that doesn't condemn anybody in this world from being on their path and learning through their experiences what's right and wrong and learning compassion and having a life to venture out and do these experiences so they can learn these lessons. Because the way you learn empathy might be a different way than I learn it. The way you learn a humbling may be a different way than I learn it. But you have your life to experience it. Let's just not impede on other people's lives. And let's embrace people and let's have mercy and do all the things that are the tenets of your faith. These are the things that make me feel like, like I get upset because it's almost as if you're not a Christian, you're a really wicked person. But you also call yourselves wicked because you say none are righteous. So at the end of the day, if you're going to self-damn, then you're not going to have a regard for the next person either. Inside your religion, you've already self-deprecating. That's what the term is. So if you're going to self-deprecate, how much you have for the next person? The only empathy you have is to minister to them, to evangelize to them so that they could come to church. If they don't do it, what you do? You wash your hands clean of them. This is the mindset for the most part. And again, I'm sure that like somebody hearing me say it, just that cut and dry is going to be like, it's not like that. You understand? I have a hard time, but th this is this is religion I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the man upstairs or wherever he's at. Source, whatever you want to call it. The stuff that was considered new age kind of takes on new form when you really think about it. When you think about quantum physics and you think about how science can support the idea of source, God, but just differently than the way religion is captivating it. Are we open enough to kind of venture into those ideas and wonder what that looks like? You know, church will keep you from that kind of learning. You know, so these are my thoughts of sin. These are my thoughts on control. 
because the church through the tithing, like I mentioned, um, you know, punishing you by pulling titles from you. Like these are just some examples that I've experienced that I've witnessed. And um, it's given me a bad taste and it's been a part of why I've moved away from church and church culture. But nonetheless, I thank you for this time. I am going to cut off now saying I appreciate all your support. Again, catch me on all my socials. This has been another episode of the My Bronx Story podcast. Until next time, I'm out. Peace.